So we're back with So You Think You Know Sports. We give you weekly updates on things you want to know, like off-the-court stories, game highlights, and all-around current sports knowledge, mostly highlighting NBA, NFL, and sometimes college or UFC. This week, we give you the best of the last chapters of The Last Dance documentary, Michael Jordan and the Bulls, part 9 and 10. The NFL looking at incentives for hiring minority coaches, black, white, Hispanic, uh, Asian coaches. The NBA's update on what they're going to do with their season, NCAA, and whether they're going to have a season this year. The MLB and the new rules they're going to try to implement to start their season along with who had the biggest bang for sports that are in play now, golf, NASCAR, and soccer. But before we get into it, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the hosts. My name is Alex and Mohammed. Go ahead and say something for them. Hey, we just want to say what's up to all our listeners. Thank you for listening. And make sure you subscribe to our podcast and other platforms, including Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, press that subscribe, uh, share the word, and we're going to give you the best and top stories each week. But today we begin with the last chapter of The Last Dance, the Bulls slash Jordan documentary. Now, big highlights from The Last Dance parts 9 and 10 was the matchup between Carmelo with the Jazz versus the Jordan and the Bulls final series. Ahmad Rashad's close relationship with Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr losing his father and hitting multiple big shots to seal championships for the Bulls, the Pacers and Reggie Miller giving the Jordan Bulls the biggest test, according to Michael Jordan, and Pippen playing through clear back pain to win a game six versus the Jazz, along with why Jerry Krause wanted to break up a three-peat championship team. And we also have a little bit more with Dennis skipping practice during a playoff series to be a part of the wrestling NWA Hulk Hogan uh, type of mania in the 90s, the late 90s there. And the flu game is really the food poison game. Very big update when it comes to knowing what that is going to be considered in the future. So I'll go ahead and ask. With the ending of the last dance, ending with their last championship, and Michael Jordan retiring along with Phil Jackson, no longer returning to the Bulls, do you think the Bulls would have won a seventh championship if all the main players returned? It would be pretty easy to say that the Bulls would have won another championship because of how good they were in their stature. But if you just look at how Michael Jordan was at the end of that run, Scottie Pippen and most of the players around them, they were just so mentally and physically tired. If they had went to a game seven against the Jazz in that in that last finals in 98, they might not have won that game because they were just so physically and mentally beat down just from so many long championship runs, I don't think they would have been able to make it. You had an up and coming star in uh, 
uh, what's his name? Tim Duncan. Whenever he was coming up with uh, the other guy, David Robinson. Well, really, I don't even know if they would have made it that far. It just would have been really hard for them to come back and win another championship because they had been on so many other championship runs. I can agree. Whether they would win a seventh championship, I don't think so. Because uh, as you referenced with Tim Duncan and their David Robinson, they were the ones who won it the, the year after Jordan won his last championship with the Bulls, and everything was kind of split up. And they were physically completely tired. Like, it was a miracle they made that over the hump. And without Scottie Pippen clearly, like, being in, like, excruciating pain, from what I saw, he shouldn't have been on that court with some of the movements he was making. But he was still hitting shots. He was still getting down the court. And he was still for some somehow producing for the team. I think it just it actually started to fully amaze me that his Pippen's part in that last game, the game six, because I definitely think they would have lost against the Jazz in that fourth, that seventh game. If it was a seventh game, they would have lost because Michael Jordan was beyond tired. He was over. He was done. And he was picking up the load for Pippen as Pippen was still doing more than he probably should have even been able to do. Yes, I definitely agree. And that's more of a testament to LeBron James just going to so many finals and being so durable and just playing so well for this long. I think he he should get more credit for that. True. And I think it's I I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm really in between whether I'm going to give Jordan more credit or less credit for how he actually was during that time. He was smoking cigars. Uh, on the absolute regular. He was drinking beers in the locker room. He was he was living his life. He was drinking. He was smoking uh, cigars in the locker room. That was a common thing with Michael Jordan. And he's a professional athlete. So I don't, I'm, I'm so stuck in between whether I should give him more credit for being that athletic and doing so much to his body or whether... Uh, I should discount it a little bit when it comes to the error, and maybe it was just a whole bunch of slaps he was dominating against. Uh, We can only just go on what we've seen so far, and I think that LeBron James has just taken care of his body so much more than uh, Michael Jordan, because you can even see in his eyes, he kind of has like that yellowish jaundice in his Mm -hmm. eyes that is... (laughs) <laughs> he just oh, it's he clear. just has not taken care of himself. I can, yeah, he's enjoyed himself. Um, he's basking in his riches. He did. He said if he could redo it, he wouldn't be a role model. I, I, it's crazy. Um, getting to know the real Michael Jordan, even though we kind of already knew Michael Jordan, it's just it reconfirms a lot of the thoughts you thought before. Um, but I'm moving on to. Looking back at it now, did Jerry Krause make the right choice to break up the team by not bringing back Phil Jackson? I think that he probably made the wrong choice because Phil Jackson had that championship pedigree. He had won so many championships with Michael Jordan. Maybe he could have, uh, I guess, groomed the, the, the next Michael Jordan, maybe if there ever was going to be one, um, teach them that triangle or whatever type of plays that 
he would do. Um, but as we saw, Phil Jackson, he did not want to stick around for a rebuild. And Michael Jordan was it. He didn't he didn't want to do that. Um, but I still think it was a mistake. And you hold on to whatever you have to stay relevant rather than being sorry for really. I don't know how long now, <laughs> ever since Michael Jordan left, really. Yeah, I'll give a little bit more credit to the Derrick Rose and maybe one or two years. Um, but okay. I, I give I, that credit. I forgot. Yeah, but, <laughs> but out of out of the uh, overall, though, you're correct. Uh, it is not looked good when you look back at it. Um, so it's not like Jerry Cross was the uh, general manager, manager, general manager that entire time. Um, but uh, I think it's a hard choice because when I got the when they gave you the explanation on why he was going. to break up the team it actually made sense even michael jordan kind of had a a shrug like dang that might have been why like yeah not too bad maybe i shouldn't have thought so bad about it that's what the kind of look i felt he gave off he gave off a shrug like hmm maybe am i the only one that caught that i I mean i guess (laughs) Well, well, when Jerry Cross explained, or it wasn't actually it wasn't Jerry Cross, it was the uh, the other upper management guy. I can't remember his name right now, but he was explaining what Jerry Cross uh, mental was about uh, going for it. He said that first of all, Dennis Rodman needed to be released because he was uncontrollable uh, at this point. He was doing what he wants when he wants. And it, he was just absolutely uncontrollable at this point. They couldn't carry him on a, a second year. Pippen uh, was underpaid grossly. And if they dove all of that money into him to keep him, instead of using that money towards the future, they're going to put money into an old stock, which even by the Belichick uh, type of um, mentality or Patriots is to get, get rid of him before they can't be used anymore. Um, so you had that with that player. Uh, then you had Michael Jordan. Of course they want to keep Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan doesn't want to play without Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson and Jerry Krause absolutely hate each other. And before this, uh, the season even started, they stated clear lines that Phil Jackson was not coming back. It was touch and go whether Pippen was even going to come back. Yeah. The team would not have been able to stick around, um, at least the same team if they had moved past the 98 season altogether, um, because there were so many different factors, people want to get paid. So you got to let some people go. Um, yeah, I, I just think it just would have been a terrible disaster as far as, um, trying to bring everybody back. Uh, but I, I don't think that the bulls would have won another ring with that same team. Also. I agree. I don't think they had it. I think it was, it was Jordan got to his max. And that's one thing I do commit him on also is knowing when he's reached his, his max of taking something in a way, like when he was over the media, the attention and all of that. Uh, and when it came to his father dying after the third repeat and he just chose to retire, he, he just, he was done. He, he knew when he was mentally and emotionally done and wanted to become more like a, uh, one of the boys when they came to going to, play, to baseball, he felt the same way about it. He was, 
I think in his mind, in a way, he was tired of carrying people, and he also felt uh, the full time of what was going on had had passed. It always was an uncomfortable relationship between the main players of the Bulls and the uh, the upper management of the Bulls, which is crazy seeing how much success they actually had together. Yeah, I think that with a lot of successful people or organizations, there's a lot of skeletons in the closet that we don't see because we just see their good times, their the success. Just like people on social media, you, you just see everything that's good and none of the bad stuff that they go through every day. I I can agree. I can agree. But just to kind of pull it in, I would say looking back at it, uh, it's still a hard choice. But I would say just seeing the fact that they didn't really have any great teams after that point, whether it was with Jerry Krause or without. So I would have said I, I would have, you needed to hold on to what you currently had, especially when your team just won a championship. That's things you can't let go of. I agree. I definitely agree. I, they, he should have brought back Phil Jackson, but it seemed like he burned that bridge at the beginning of the season. Yeah, because they even asked for him back, and he said in multiple ways, like he even said it was unfair to Jerry Krause, as it would have been unfair for Phil Jackson to come back and where he said from the beginning of the season they were going to go a different way, and the management above him said, no, Jerry Krause, we're still going to go this way. So it would have been disrespectful, and Phil Jackson really did have a point. He did move on to uh, greener pastures eventually when they went to the Lakers. So uh, you can't be too mad. Um, but who gave Jordan and the Bulls the hardest time in a final series during the six trips there to the championship? Gary Payton, Carl Malone, Clyde Drexler, Charles Barkley, or Magic Johnson? Um, really, I'm going to, uh, this, this one is just going to be a side one, which I think is the, really the hardest one. And this is before the finals. It had to be the bad boy Pistons because they couldn't get past them at first. But out of the finals teams, I think it's the Utah Jazz, mainly because, um, the, the Bulls so had been there. So you're saying Carl Malone? Yeah. Yeah. Carl Malone, the Utah Jazz. I'm saying that because. The Bulls have been to the finals so many times that they had been worn down. And the Jazz, they were, I mean, that was their first couple of times with going to the finals with Karl Malone and um, John Stockton. And they were at the top of their game. But the Bulls just had that championship pedigree, and they knew what to do to win. That's what really got them that far. But they were just so worn down that that was their toughest test. And if they would have lost that game six in the 98 finals, they probably would have lost in game seven. I I can definitely respect your answer on that one, but I'm definitely going to go a different route. I do understand your motive on that. Now, team wise. Yes, that is uh, probably the one who in the finals gave them the, the hardest competition, but I'm going to say person-wise, because the question is really directed towards like their star player in each championship. And I would have to say it's Charles Barkley. And because I'll go ahead and run down the list 
when it comes to the other players I mentioned, like Gary Payton. Gary Payton felt he had something on Jordan, but Jordan had just came back. He was determined. His mind was on something else. He was thinking about his father. He he makes too much of that moment as Jordan has kind of uh, laughed at him about him feeling he had something over Jordan. Um, and I, I kind of believe Jordan on that uh, type of uh, sarcasticness. Uh, then when it comes to Clyde Drexler, he put that man in a blender. He killed that man uh, when it came to his, their matchups. So I'm going to com- clearly be able to ma- uh, push him out. Then you got Magic Johnson, which I could have gone ahead and thrown in James Worthy also. Most people don't remember his, him as much as uh, Magic Johnson. James Worthy actually averaged more points in that championship than Magic Johnson. But they were kind of in their, their going out stage. Magic Johnson made it there, but he didn't. I, I think it was just the time for Jordan and the Bulls as that was his first championship. His first championship was against Magic Johnson and the Lakers. Um, but I, that just brings me to Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley put on an all-star absolute performance when he faced against Michael Jordan. It just wasn't enough. Yeah, um, it's kind of like with LeBron going up against the Warriors. They just have so much more talent that you just can't overcome it, even though you're putting on one of the best performance performances ever in a finals. Yeah, but that's even worse when you have also have a team plus a player that will outdo you. Um, because it's <laughs> well, not we don't have to go too far into that. <laughs> True. Yeah, it's like because uh, LeBron was uh, outscoring the uh, other players on the other teams, but of course, yeah, we don't have to go as far into that. Um, but are you more amazed or less amazed at the flu game, knowing that? It was really food poisoning Jordan had. I'm going to go on the side of neither. I still feel the same exact way that I did before this documentary with that flu game or food poisoning game. Because, uh, I mean, really nothing changed. We just saw, I guess, some behind the scenes about it. Of course, food poisoning, I mean, that's going to make you feel terrible. And this guy went out and performed at the highest level. Um, I, there's really nothing else to say about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just going to choose neither. I, I think I'm actually a little more amazed because if I'm comparing the two, flu, there's different degrees of having the flu and like how much you can actually do. Like you, you can kind of be slightly mobile when it comes to having the flu and just feeling kind of bad and out there just shooting around. So I understand that was a full-on game, and that made, that's amazing alone. But there's different degrees of having a flu and whether you can even just try to sweat through it. Because some people work out while they're sick so that they can sweat through a cold. But having food poisoning is a whole nother level. That's your whole stomach. That's your bowels. That's, that's a lot of things. And if he was really feeling the effects of food poisoning, I definitely have to commend and give him at least a half of a notch higher than what I was already amazed about the flu game. Well, you know, the flu affects your lungs. This is a it's a respiratory infection along with your stomach. I mean, you get a headache, uh, chills, muscle aches. You get all of that with the flu. True. It's really Very. similar symptoms. Yeah. So I guess that's why they call it the flu game. Uh, but 
ended off on uh, the last dance. Uh, rate the documentary The Last Dance one to ten. I'm gonna give it an eight because I mean it it was very good. It was really entertaining. You got to see some behind the scenes stuff with Michael Jordan, but I don't think it included everything. And I saw the director. He talked about. Yeah, there's plenty of other things that we could have talked about. Um, there's even more more um, stuff that we could. Th- I mean, there's enough footage to where we could have another last dance. Like, let's go into some of the the Wizards days with Michael Jordan or like some stuff inside of his personal life. I mean, we kind of touched on it at the beginning, but nothing through all of the highest points of his career. Very true. Very astute. Cause I really didn't pay attention to that uh, factor because it really didn't get really personal after uh, a certain point. It was the, the regular personal that almost everybody already knew about his beginnings. Uh, after he got to the NBA, it cut off on all pretty much all personal things other than his father dying, his father's relationship with him and gambling outside of that not much to know about i honestly don't even i can't even imagine what michael jordan's wife looks like and that would actually should be amazed at the fact that i wouldn't know that or i don't even not even quite sure whether i have seen her before um as she does this but um well that's where it gets little uh, tricky. <laughs> that's why they probably didn't show it. <laughs> well, that would be great. Uh, and I guess that's why they were saying uh, the, some of the authenticity to what they were covering was lessened because Michael Jordan was in the documentary and he had to have some type of approval on these things. But it that actually was some of the most entertaining parts, actually, was his reactions to the fo- footage, uh, the past footage that they were going to be using, and some of the current. Oh yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, him, him reacting to the past plays. Now, I mean, he can easily go back and say, "Oh yeah, man, he wasn't nothing to me. The the, the other guy was better than me, or he won MVP." I mean, it's easy to say now, mm-hmm. but. I just wanted some more of the personal things. I, I mean, let's get a good mix of championship runs and personal things. Like, we just saw a little bit into the mind of Michael Jordan, how he felt like he was trapped in a box, but nothing with his family, really. I mean, his children did show up a couple of times, but nothing about a wife, nothing even about his current girlfriend or maybe wife. I don't know, but just none of that. True. It was in none of that realm of things that happened. Um, so I definitely agree on that one. So I would have to rate it overall through one through ten. A after that analysis, I would have to notch it down because I was going to give it an eight point two, eight point five, somewhere in that range. But <laughs> you're right. You're right. I do have to knock it down. I'm gonna go seven point seven. Uh, it, it's it's. It's like a, it's like your school versions of a of a documentary. Um, I I just can't. It, it seems like the clean version of what 
uh, we kind of should have seen. And it tried to appear to be dirty version as he was trying to say that he would be viewed as a mean person after the documentary. We already knew you were, you were mean, Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't think we got to see enough of the practices where he was like really hard on the guys. Like what he actually said, those those actual quotes. We got, you know, I guess perspectives of different people, which is mm-hmm. nice. But you know, like how um, Kobe was near the end of his career, how he was calling players soft. Like we actually saw footage of that in practice, and he yeah. was talking all type of trash to him. Where's that footage? I know it exists. <laughs> Very true, very true. They they didn't really highlight him doing anything in practice. I understand you got to cut it down. And they even said they finished the last episode on Thursday. Doesn't that seem kind of late on your homework? But uh, knowing it's due on Sunday, but... Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, they basically just showed things that we've seen before, the highlights, um, the different perspectives of players who were there during that time. But we could have easily gotten an interview from them somewhere else. And they've probably said these things before. Not yeah. downplaying this documentary, though. It was still pretty good. Yeah, it was It's pretty good. Um, it, was, <laughs> it filled the gap of sports. And now we've hit this void of where people feel lost even on Sundays. Because it did reach a, a topping 5.1 million views on a documentary uh, of Michael Jordan. Which... Normally, probably would not have gotten this exact type of attention, but everybody wants to be a part of the 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 water cooler talk of the next day, uh, which is the best thing, the Jordan documentary. But to move it along, we're going to go move on to the NFL and uh, a big proposal uh, coming about with the NFL this week. Um, it's actually in the shadow of a. Uh, amendment of a major rule in the NFL about hiring minority coaches and also GMs. It's the amendment of the Rooney rule, which was influenced to incentivize teams to at least interview, sorry, to interview, or they would have to interview at least two to three candidates or I'm actually I'm sorry about that I think it's at least one black or minority candidate before they can hire their current coach and it's kind of like a filter type of situation but it kind of seems like foregone conclusions a lot of times when they bring in a non-minority coach well currently in the shadow of that the NFL is proposing a third round of the draft incentive for teams that hire a minority coach. Currently, there are six minority coaches in the NFL with 32 teams. So, is this a logical solution to the minority gap in the NFL? Um, I guess it's a start. It's definitely a start um, because, I mean, in America, we see that uh, minorities, they don't get all of the chances that somebody that is Caucasian, they, they, there's just not as many opportunities for them and they have to be just as good or even better than their, their, their white counterparts who 
basically have the same uh, credentials or they might have, have even better credentials than their white counterpart. Um, but I, I think it's a start. Uh, but let's, I mean, I don't know. It, it's kind of hard. It really has not gotten any more minority coaches hired uh, with the Rooney rule. And it's really been lessened uh, just just recently over the past few years. But I guess this will help. But we, we really have to see how things go. Yeah. yeah it's kind of, I think with these NFL teams, since the reason why they're amending the Rooney rule is because a lot of teams uh, see it completely as a formality. And even with that, they kind of don't even have to do that. They, they don't really see that the NFL is going to chase after them to see whether they interviewed a coach that they weren't even going to hire. So it's it's become at least just let me back myself up so it's not a bad story in the media type thing uh, versus they might have invited them to brunch uh, to have a muffin and they might be counting <laughs> that as their minority coach uh, interview and then possibly having that documented somehow. But um, I would say this is, it's a better solution and I don't think people like it right now. Like even the black people in the uh, NFL, the players don't, I don't think particularly exactly like it. It's mostly because it's the optics of it is unfair advantage. It seems like, hey, we're about to go give these black uh, coaches unfair advantages when it's really giving the the owners who are pretty much all white advantages. And why would you say the owners have an advantage? Because the owners get the third round pick uh, incentive. If the coach gets fired the next year, who still has the team? The owner. <laughs> yeah, so the owner, is, the owner incentive is not a coach incentive. It's an, okay. It's an, it's it's a it's a team incentive. It's and who owns the team is the owner. So it's it's completely an owner incentive and not an incentive for the coach. And it, but it, even though it's looking like an incentive for the coach. Okay, I see. So basically, they just get an incentive if they just let them stick around for a little bit, and then if they don't pan they, out. Yeah. <laughs> they, can hire, they can hire and fire him the next year. You know what? We need a better third round. Let's hire us a coach for a year. Let's hire us a black coach or a Hispanic coach or an Asian coach for a year as a head coach. We're going to get us a good third round. And I think that's the optics of that and the possibility of it being just unfair in a way outside of the, the rules they've set. I don't think the mass is like that. Especially, I think it's kind of universal in this way that a lot of them don't like it. I actually do. I'm cool with there being an unfair fair advantage because it's already an unfair advantage for the people who do get the jobs. But at least you might be leaning towards that because or more likely to give that a chance if you feel you can get a good return no matter what. Yeah, that's why I say it's a start. Um, but I feel like we, I don't know. There, there has to be some type of other change for this to really make a difference. Yeah, I agree. But that's what a lot of other people are thinking. And realistically, though, it has to be something fully shifting. 
I, I just don't think that a lot of people like it off first glance at all, uh, because there's a lot of rumblings right now that overall nobody likes the idea of this. But there's an underground type of movement in there that's kind of saying this is a forceful way to incentivize these owners to really think about it. Yeah, and hopefully something more positive comes out of this um, because there, there's not really many black coaches in the NFL, especially as a head coach. Five. It's five, and then one of them is a, a Hispanic, which is uh, Ron Rivera. And then Mike Tomlinson has been a head coach for 15 years, but he's the longest reigning minority coach by mile. Like, I think the closest one for one team right now is like three years. And that's only because Ron Rivera did move from the Panthers to uh, the Redskins, which puts him in his first year with that team. But uh, it's not even really close. Well, yeah, you got Mike Tomlin, Ron Rivera, the Chargers coach, Anthony Lynn. Brian Flores with the Dolphins, mm-hmm. and I don't know There's anybody else. There's six of them, but I cannot place them all in my head right now. Um, I know the Bengals. Does the Bengals still have that black coach? Oh, no. He got fired. Like, like I don't even know what Bengals have as a coach, but there's six of them uh, right now. They did name them out earlier uh, today when I was um, uh, reviewing some information. But um, what – is keeping owners from hiring minority coaches now? Uh, really, that's a question for them to answer because <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there are plenty of uh, highly intelligent minority coaches out there. Um, they just have to be given the chance and just be in the room. Just have them in the room. See what they can do pick their brain, you know, give them that fair interview. Uh, just give them a chance to walk inside the door. I think that is the biggest um, obstacle in this whole thing. Just having them come into the door and hear what they have to say. Just don't have them there just because you were told to. Well, I think that's real interest. You have to have real interest. And the only way to real have real interest is to kind of force the interest uh, with an unfair advantage, even though a lot of the NFL uh, players, coaches and things like that aren't really liking it. Excuse me. Aren't really liking it right now. But from what the temperature I kind of got from the comments of the minority coaches that are out there. So they did have recorded their kind of responses on this. Um, they kind of are cool with it. I can. They, they're not full out saying they're cool with it, but I think they are cool with it. Uh, being that way. It's just not going to be a real good, clear consensus on who likes it and who doesn't like it. It's not going to be a race type thing. It's just going to be a person by person type thing. Yeah, I'm just waiting to see how this whole thing plays out. Um, Hopefully there's more positive than negative. Yeah, and to answer the question, what's keeping owners right now, I think partly it was imaged before and uh, as one of the coaches lamented, the uh, head coaches who are minority, um, they said it's a popularity contest. It's about who you know. And most times you know more people, so I wouldn't say it like this, but of your race in, in a way. And most people connect with people they feel similar. And it's not saying that 
people of different races don't feel similar. It's just they do see themselves in uh, that same type of person. So that's where owners take in consideration for the people they hire, uh, along with who they interview. Uh, they kind of want somebody who's like them, who they feel they can trust to take that control, but don't they don't specifically have to feel that they have to be over the football movements. Yeah, I agree. Um, people like to, well, really, people like relatable things. Um, the, relatability and familiarity, those are the things that really can kind of get you through the door. Yeah, and I, that's why I can't really blame these owners. And I also don't blame the fact that they're hiring who they want to hire for their business. That You can't really argue against that actual fact. But at the same time, there are people who are just as highly qualified, if not more qualified. It's just that they're not getting the opportunity to show what they can do. There's no uh, real open ear for them being in that position. But I'll, I'll go ahead and move it along to the NBA and the overall updates about uh, where we're at with the NBA. The, just last week, the NBA took a poll on by the players or two players uh, about whether they would like to continue the season with a clear yes or no. Uh, and overall it's come back that the players would like to continue the season, but there are a couple of different obstacles uh, dealing with social distancing them, considering having play, uh, fans in the stands or in, and not having fans in the stands. And there's a whole lot of things that the NBA kind of need to figure out, but, in a short amount of time. So if the NBA season returns, will this championship's winner be more or less valued in the history of champions? Since many players will have disadvantages when coming back in top form. I can say initially that this will be looked down upon whoever is the eventual championship winner. But over time, I don't think it will matter because LeBron had a championship ring with a shortened season with his first ring. Now, he did back that up winning a couple more, but that didn't him winning that first ring. That was, I mean, like the the biggest thing he even said after he won. uh, It's about damn time. I mean, (laughs) so. I mean, and and I think it would still be the same if it would be for somebody else that has, well, is still looking for that first ring. It'll be just as big. I don't think that they would be looked down upon winning that ring. Yeah, honestly, I think the only person it looks less on is maybe LeBron. And that's mostly because... People know and understand that he's always ready. He's going to stay ready. And he might have just enough motivation on the players he has right now to keep them ready. But when it comes to these other teams, these other players in these other cities, they're going to be at a possible slight disadvantage because they have not been able to keep up. But that is all fair in games, (laughs) I would say. So um, I think the only person... Initially, the only person it would look lesser on would be LeBron. And almost everybody else, it would look 
it looks good on. If Kawhi won in, it looks good. If uh, if the Celtics win it, it looks good. If Philly wins it, it looks good. If the Rockets win it, it looks good. Almost anybody but the Lakers and LeBron will get full credit for this, even though I know the Lakers want this as bad as much, uh, anybody out there because it's for Kobe, it's for uh, making it through everything, it's for him finally having a team like he wants it, it's for him uh, defending his crown as the champion, along with now having to battle uh, the country with the debate about who, whether he's the greatest or Michael Jordan. Yeah, I, I think for most first winners, them winning their first ring, they wouldn't be looked down upon. But I definitely agree with LeBron. He would get the most flack for this. Um, it's just like he really can't win. <laughs> Even when he wins, he can't win. Uh, I could uh, definitely agree. I, I honestly can't think of any team out there right now that would get less value in this championship. Because I honestly can't. Like, because the Rockets... People who are real in contention, because they're probably just going to go with the people who is already in the playoffs. Rockets win it; it's amazing. Our experiment worked. Uh, if it's Portland, fine. I don't even think Portland made it to the playoffs. I'm going to go ahead and scratch scratch no. them out. <laughs> but this is not their year. But uh, then you have the Clippers. Oh my God, Kawhi is the best. He's won championships. He's the you know he's now the reigning real uh, best player in the world. You know that's what's going to be the theme if he. Him and the Clippers win it, along with Philly finally making it, or uh, or uh, Boston finally winning one. It is everybody's storyline would be really looked great upon, other than the Lakers, because they would say, "Hey, they did have a short season. Hey, you know these probably other people were uh, were." weren't really prepared like the Lakers. They live in the sunshine. We live in these cold areas or other areas where we can have the same advantages. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, people will just find any way to downplay the championship, even though they would win. Yeah. But I'm not I going really for hope, them either. I really hope the season does play out. But it looks like no matter if even it's a quarantine, people have just simply gotten fed up with staying inside and simply are just risking it, it because they're just choosing they're going to live with it. And I think that that mental is starting to spread almost to the point where they even said they're entertaining the possibility of some fans being at NBA games, something like six uh, seats apart. Yeah, I definitely see that happening. And with Memorial Day weekend coming up, People are going to be oh, all at the beach. Go crazy. It's going to go <laughs> crazy. Like the quarantine, the whole thing is going to be like outrageous. This is, it's really showing that human nature is not always to do what they know is best. They do what they really want to do. Because a lot of people know it's best to go ahead and stay in. And no, no curfew has been lifted. Cases haven't gone down. It is constantly being record numbers on exposures after any state. Uh, releases their curfew or their quarantine. It literally every single one. It's record days, but the overall public has just been fed up with staying at home for probably the past three months. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and uh, it's hard to say. I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon. I agree. I completely agree. I think now what's going to happen is people are going to still be working from home, but. 
people are going to start sneak to do things uh, that do actually involve having crowds of people. Uh, I, I know of many parties and uh, situations that happened just in this past weekend. Uh, but I'll, I'll move it along. So what do you think is the cutoff date for this season having no chance of returning for the NBA? I think the cutoff date is July 4th, whatever day of the week that is. The 4th of July is a cutoff date. And if they don't have a plan set for the season to continue for the NBA, then it's over. They are going to just say, you know what? We're not going to have a championship this year. The NCAA did not have a championship this year for um, the the basketball. So this is just going to go down as a year that we had no champion. I hear you, but I think all these players want somebody to be crowned. They're, they're hesitant for somebody, just anybody to be crowned because they feel that it's going to end up being the Lakers or the um, – or LeBron, if you want to attach it together. Because if you want to go by some bylaws that I'm not sure are true, but from what I heard is if the plays season does not play out, the team with the best record in the last uh, three-fourths of the season wins the championship uh, automatically, which that actually is listed as the Lakers. I'm not exactly sure on the validity of that actual um, bylaw in the NBA records. But I think that's what's making a lot of these players hesitant to to have a season. But at the same time, a lot of these people feel like it's also their chance to crown themselves as a champion. Uh, kind of looking at like the Celtics and their top players, uh, Philly, and a lot of other play, uh, teams who feel like this year has a great chemistry and next year is unknown. Well, to comment on that part where you were talking about the the team with the best record to win the, the championship. Now that deserves an asterisk. I don't think anybody would properly give LeBron that ring. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> I mean, it's still a ring, but I, you, you can't properly count that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But uh, I, I would say the date for me because you said July 4th. I think that's actually kind of late, personally. I know we're really coming up on June here, the beginning of it. But I think they got they have max three weeks before they got to put stuff into action. They have absolutely max three weeks from now before they have to put things in motion. Because there has to be a prep for what they're doing. There has to be a, a, a slight rule book uh, laid out. Uh, they have then practices then there has to be a ramp up there has to be like a two week period where you're just allowing these players and people to conduct practices but also under these quarantine type rules then you actually got to move towards games and that's if you're continuing a full the rest of the season on top of the playoffs honestly i think their best bet is just to go ahead and start off the playoffs and just play that out since it, everything is kind of already cemented other than one team that could have been in there for the A slot slot in the West. But other than that, everything was sewed up. So at best, even with the without the season, they need to make their decision within the next three weeks. So I'll say about June 15th, uh, June 20th. Okay, I wouldn't mind that. Um, I would definitely like to see the 
the playoffs start as soon as they come back, but have them get, give them maybe two weeks for practice, two weeks for practice to prepare themselves and I don't know, whatever shape they can get in. And then just everything, like everybody just go at it. <laughs> I mean, it'll yeah, probably be I sloppy. Agree. It'll probably be sloppy, but I definitely want to see that. I think everybody's so hungry that you're going to see a different type of sports. And the lack of time of actually being able to refine and do like they normally do on a normal basis will be made up for the intensity that they're going to bring towards the game. And that's actually worthwhile uh, feeling about just playing and having fun, not so much about the mechanics and just getting to the next game. Yeah, I, I would definitely want to see that. Um, you're just going to see people scratching and clawing, just trying to get whatever they can. Yeah, and it's, it's all in the shadow of this uh, Jordan documentary also. So I think a lot of people just kind of want to show what they can do. Uh, I'm moving along to the NCAA. With it being seeming to be evident that college campuses will stay empty for the foreseeable future, will there be a NCAA football season? Yes. So, and if so, how would it be possible? I think that there. This is a very hard question because you can't just consider the athletes. You have to consider every single student because if you just have the athletes out there and like what, like at school and playing and not any of the students, then what does that say about the athletes? Are they professional or not? Exactly. Um, yeah, that that's that's the biggest thing. Um, and they have to receive some type of bigger compensation rather than just a stipend that they get for a, a month or whatever. But will they have a season? I'm going to be positive and optimistic and say, yes, they're going to have a season. Um, like we were just saying before, people are going to not really pay attention that much to the protocols. Um, and like like we're seeing currently, a lot of states are opening up a lot of things. Uh, Florida, Texas, I think, Maybe California, maybe um, they are opening up themselves to allow teams to practice and uh, be that venue if they need be or if they need the the venue to play games. Um, a, a lot of these states, they're basically being governed by their uh, their official governor, not really by the president. Really, each state has their own kind of rules in a way. Yeah, it's a lawless country, uh, but a whole lot of restriction at the same time. Um, it, you said you completely said it right. It is dictated by the um, the states and the mayors and what section by section out here. So it is kind of weird on what's being fully implemented uh, all around the U.S. But when it comes to the NCAA and their football season, which is their most I would say very closely surprised beside the uh, basketball league, but even more because people pay attention to it the entire season when it comes to the NCAA football. I would say, honestly, I don't think there's going to be one. There's 
I feel like it's almost impossible to not break any type of social distancing rules very soon after the epidemic, and it's not even nowhere near over. But people are actually acting like it's kind of on its way over. Like it's, hey, we just got to wait out the last bit of this type of feel to this whole coronavirus when it has not went down at all. Uh, so overall, with there having to be at minimum 22 players, minimum, because that's 11 players on each side, and not counting backups, not counting coaches, not counting trainers, not counting at least about 100, close to 100 people. I wouldn't say 100, but let's say at least 50 people if you're going to cut it down. 50 people total between everybody, and that's cutting it down. You still are accessing, putting yourself uh, – close to a virus and you're trusting a large mass of people when that's only one team being evaluated in that situation. And like you said, are they professionals if they're on the on the campus playing sports when you're also putting these players' lives in danger, when it's all about them being play uh, college ap- academic players, as they would say. Yeah. Um it's just a really sticky situation. And I think coming out of this quarantine, whenever that is, um, college players will be compensated more because the schools don't want to lose this money from um, college football because that is a big revenue for them that they get every single year, along with college basketball, but not as much. Um, they don't want to miss out on that money. So they will start they're going to give the players more compensation. I think it's going to suck for any class that has not uh, already enjoyed college at its possibly past type of uh, way, because I think we're just going to move towards campuses being maybe just for athletes or uh, in the situation where you need to be on the campus Outside of that, I think every class and everything like that is going to be moved offline because it's already been done. It's already being done. It's it's already been forced. Their hand is already there, and it's just the easier thing. Um, I can see that in the very distant future. I don't know about within the next few years. Well, I think people still want that college experience. I, I hear you, but you you underestimate the effect of what how people are going to think after this, or even if there's an after this, because the swine flu lasts for three years, three to four years. And that's the last epidemic we've had that like shifted the world in such a way. And that's three to four years. And even after that, you, you grow a certain type of mental about germs and how to conduct yourself and being around large groups. And you train your mind a certain way, even with this small amount of time. Even with just this small amount of time, there's going to be a whole generation of children and even the grownups now who are going to conduct themselves differently the rest of their entire lives due to what's going on now. Yeah, I can definitely see that point. Uh, a lot of things will change just coming out of this uh, pandemic. So how, yeah. Yeah. How are parents going to trust for their kids to go off to college? Uh, how are the, are parents going to start to try to push people and their kids out of the nest? That may go to a smaller thing, especially when you can take these classes online. When you can be, when everything is pretty much going to be moved towards online. I think 
in the future, college campuses might only be for the athletes and people who have to be on campus. Okay. And I think with that, a domino effect has to be put in effect where the universities don't cost as much because they don't have students being on campus. Yeah, it may be a fix. It may be a fix. Um, But, you know, uh, conglomerates and businesses like the NCAA aren't big on uh, losing out on money. But I'll I'll move on to uh, our next subject, which is baseball, the MLB, and them looking at returning for the beginning of their season as they're pretty late at this point now. Um, so some of the new rules that they're saying they will implement if they're able to go ahead and start up the season will be no showering showering in, at the ballpark before or after games, no spitting, locker rooms and lockers, about six lockers apart, them taking their t- temperature twice a day, and... Things of that sort where they can't scratch and and dap and things of that sort. So these quarantine rules put baseball in its grave. (laughs) Um, Will it? Hmm. No, I'm not going to say it's going to put it in its grave. I think there will always be people who want to watch baseball there just won't be as much money put into it. There's always going to be like a a want for baseball. People are always going to want to watch baseball. A, a, a general community will, will want to watch baseball. But I think that community is dying off, but you can keep continuing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably are, but I still think, I mean, even whenever I was in college, there were people who watched baseball. I mean, I didn't. But, you know, they they watch those, I don't know, midday baseball games and they were excited about it, but not me. Uh, so there's you still younger go people. Go to Carolina. They were pretty good at baseball as far as I remember. Weren't yeah, they won a championship. Yeah, so that's that's what could possibly incite excite them towards that type of sport. Just kind of uh, possibly observing, but it may not be the case. But um to answer whether these quarantine rules will put baseball in this grave, I think yes. And the only thing that's going to keep it out of his grave is baseball hats and jerseys. Uh, it is a just American type of thing to buy baseball hats and jerseys. And that's what's building and actually cementing all of these uh, type of contracts that these players get. It's be due to people buying the product. And if you have a, a bigger star, of course, you're going to buy the product even more. But people buy the product anyway. That, that's the only thing that's going to keep baseball from out of its grave. But I think where they're going to mess up, like you said, there will be pl- people who will always want to play, watch baseball. I still think some of those ages of people will be dying off. But with these rules, the purists don't get what they want. They don't get the pure pureness of how baseball is. Um, for example, things like. Uh, pitchers spitting on the ball just to get a certain type of spin or them doing just different things that actually took saliva or them patting them on the butt or uh, it's a them eating in the dugouts they can't and they won't be able to do things like that they can't eat sunflower seeds so they can't be spit they can't uh, put 
tobacco in their cheeks like they uh, this is like a pure thing about this is just the players along with the uh, people who observe it but they won't be able to do those things at all and on top of that they cannot sit beside each other and which is partly the whole fun about playing baseball because most of the time when you're on the field you're not around each other it's the excitement of being in the actual dugout yeah the experience for the players is going to be a lot different they're just going to have to adjust. And I think that's going to be for every sport um, for the most part when it comes to this time, however long this thing lasts. Yeah, I, but I actually don't think some of their rules are going to be functional also because they're also asking that the players will wear a mask while playing. That just sounds like a breathing type of problem and it would impede you from doing your best at a sport. It will impede what you're doing but it's not impossible it's not definitely not impossible but that's just one more notch against the the proposed ideas for baseball which is not going to look like the purest type of baseball um when it's played out but i move on to the last subject which is about the the, the sports that did actually start up again during the quarantine so those sports would be golf, NASCAR, and soccer. So, who, who has a bigger chance of gaining great popularity during quarantine with their return? Golf, NASCAR, or soccer? Well, I think soccer has always had huge popularity. Um, maybe not as much in the U.S., but that is that definitely is growing. And I, I think, really... Yeah, soccer has to be the, the one that will grow the most with popularity. Um, NASCAR, um, I mean, that's really for a, a certain corner of the U.S. or whoever the fans are. That I don't think NASCAR is that huge. I mean, I, I could definitely be wrong. But, yeah, I, I don't think that one is going to grow in popularity. Golf, it's mainly just for Tiger Woods. If Tiger Woods isn't playing, nobody's watching. I can almost completely agree on all of these uh, points, so I'm just going to kind of elaborate in kind of the same way. Um, when it comes to NASCAR, uh, it doesn't matter that there's no fans in the stands because it's not like they they use the fan noise to get them excited or anything like that. It's, it's simply them going around and around and around and around in a circle and you deciding to pay attention at a certain point on where they are in the race. Most of the fun from the people who I know would like NASCAR is about going there and drinking. Uh, so that will be completely cut out of the situation other than watching it on TV as people could do. It doesn't, it's not going to build any more uh, popularity than I think it already has. Golf, you're completely right again. It's going to be Tiger. And I don't see why Tiger at this point would ever risk himself in any way when you're completely cemented in every possible way as a legend, money-wise and all, just uh, to entertain people and to play golf. And then you might not win because it's not a foregone conclusion that Tiger would even win when he plays. Uh, so I would definitely have to agree. It's going to be soccer. Soccer is definitely going to get that popularity. And it's kind of built to be the perfect sport for quarantine. You do not have to use your hands. Only two people do in the entire game. Uh, other than, of course, throwing in the ball. But uh, the the two goalies have on mitts at that. So once again, that is not spreading 
germs. Uh, then all of the players, even though it's a lot of players on a uh, on a field, they don't use their hands. They use their feet. Even when burning the ball is on the top of their heads or on their chest, it does not involve them in a way of passing germs other than the, the normal contact from soccer. And that's most times, I wouldn't say always, uh, more of a minimum compared to basketball and even football. Um, so... Overall, I would say it would be soccer, and I can't wait for the soccer league to start up in Charlotte also here. Yeah, and to comment on the the contact, I think soccer has basically just as much contact as basketball. Definitely not as football, but but just like basketball. You're right. I was just weighing it out in my head, and I was like, dang, that might be kind of close on whether they have the same amount of contact because, yes, soccer does have some contact. And baseball, I mean, basketball does have some contact also. So yeah, they're probably equivalent on about how much contact uh, happens in a course of a game. And that's yeah. probably why base, basketball is also uh, high on uh, the return list, even though they do, you do use their hands and they do wipe their faces and they actually have more uh, possibility of spreading disease than soccer. Yeah, and I mean they could just wear some athletic gloves, some some type of gloves. I don't know. <laughs> where, Would that where, be an unfair advantage? Is, is it legal to wear gloves in the NBA? I've never seen anybody wear them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it might be illegal. It might be illegal because due to the grip, but who knows? I've just never seen anybody wear gloves. Um, I've seen people wear cast. Um. I honestly have just never seen anybody wear gloves. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess, get more knowledge on that. But this has been So You Think You Know Sports. Uh, now we get to the trivia part. Like always, it's multiple choice. Muhammad comes over with the questions. I try to answer it and give you some type of information on what I know about it, of course, and try to get the answer right. So, Muhammad, go ahead with the first question. Which of the following players has played with LeBron James the longest? A. Dwayne Wade, B. Zadronis Ilgaskis, or C. Anderson Verjal? I actually know this because I just, you know, big LeBron fan here. Um, so I won't make it too obvious. Uh, and go ahead and repeat the question and answer again. Which of the following players has played with LeBron James the longest? A. Dwayne Wade, B. Zadronis Ilgaskis, or C. Anderson Verjal? All right, so one more time with the names. I know it's not going to be Dwayne Wade, but uh, what's the last two names? I'll just need to make sure I'm not messing up. Zadronis Ilgaskis and Mm -hmm. Anderson Verjal. Yeah, so it's uh, Anderson Valjean, easy. That's wrong. How is it wrong? No! It's Ilgaskis. Ilgaskis. How in the world? I could have yeah. sworn it was, uh, what's the years on that? Do you um, know the year? Dang, I had it pulled up. I had it. <laughs> um, and uh, what's that next question? Okay. For which 2012 NBA team was Tyron Lue an assistant coach? A. Celtics, B. Magic, or C. Cavaliers? Mm. 
Was he assistant coach for? Yeah, he was an assistant coach. Okay, yeah, repeat it one more time. For which 2012 NBA team was Tyron Lue an assistant coach? A, Celtics, B, Magic, or C, Cavaliers? Uh, the Cavaliers. He was an assistant, then he was a head coach. Now, this is a specific year, and it says 2012, but that you is said wrong. 2012. Oh, yeah. that's not right then. I wouldn't have picked that one. But go ahead. I was, I was thinking, I wasn't paying attention. Go ahead. <laughs> but go it's ahead. the Celtics. Answer. Celtics. Yeah. All right. And uh, I got 0 for 2. What's the last one? <laughs> um, where did the 2019 NFL draft take place? A, Nashville, Tennessee. B, Tampa Bay, Florida, or C, New Orleans, Louisiana? I'm not even going to, like, draw this one out. I think it's going to be Nashville, Tennessee. That's correct. (laughs) Got one right. Because I I know they made a big deal about it not representing the area for its uh, um, music or something like that. I know that was an issue. That's one reason why I remembered it. Yeah, so to go back to the first question, um, Ilgaskis, he was a teammate of LeBron from 03 to 2010, and then he was on the 2010 to 2011 Miami Heat. Anderson Vergeau, he was his teammate from 04 to 10, and then 2014 to 2016. So he was second in career games as LeBron's teammate. So he 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 came just just short. Oh, well, we're definitely going to give you more information uh, coming up this next week. And this has been So You Think You Know Sports. See you next week.